Soil, thank you so much for coming on to Startup Steroid today. I'm really excited to dig into your story. You have so many intricate things that we can get into. Um, you're obviously the joint venture expert. Um, we've been talking for such a long time. It's finally, uh, it's my pleasure to sort of finally get you on the show. Thank you. Um, but before we get into all of that, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Sahel Khan. I'm known as the joint venture expert. A quick background to myself. Uh, I founded a very successful SaaS e-learning business uh, back in early 2000. Um, I scaled that to eight figures using just joint venture partnerships. And then in 2008, during the last recession, I lost everything. I went from being a multi-millionaire to totally broke. I uh, set myself a challenge in 2009 to make a million dollars in 12 months. Ended up doing a $1.5 million joint venture licensing deal in just 30 days. After that, became known as the joint venture expert. And then since after that, I built a very successful corporate consulting practice in corporate America. I exited that in 2017 by an acquisition partnership. And now I'm pretty much semi-retired, ready and here to get back and uh, grateful to be with you today. So thank you for having me. Fantastic. Yeah. So you highlighted two really interesting sort of ups and downs uh, in your story already. And I think what you're doing now uh, is also fantastic. So we'll, let's dig into all of those things. Tell us about the, uh, the, the education partnership that you started with uh, in the early 2000s. Um, what was the business? What was the partnership that you developed? Uh, and let's, yeah, sure. let's dig into that a little bit so we can learn from that experience. Yeah, so, so before I became an entrepreneur and a founder, I was a management consultant working in the city of London. So uh, while working there, I spent a lot of time in, in, a, in the office, nine to five. Um, uh, earlier, earlier than that, I was very good at numbers. Uh, when in school and college, I was always uh, geeked out. You know, I loved maths and numbers, and um, always top of my class. So I decided to pursue a career as a CPA management uh, accountant. I, I ultimately became a management consultant. Uh, but one of the things that I found while working at this institution was I used to wonder every day what life is like uh, out of the office. You know, what else is there in life? Um, and I used to question myself to be honest with you uh, by being in a place where all I was doing was crunching numbers so um, an opportunity came uh, in the uh, guise of a, uh, a trend report that we had in-house on e-learning and I saw that e-learning was uh, going to be a big thing and uh, you know we saw a lot of the trends coming in from the US uh, at that time nobody in the UK was, uh, uh, was jumping on this trend I actually saw a gap in the market and I decided to pursue it so uh, I left a, a you know a, a very good uh, in the city uh, to uh, start up a e-learning uh, business um, and then the way I did it was I went out and researched I did a lot of research in terms of the industry um, the trends and I managed to find a company in the US um, and we did a licensing deal so before I go uh, further to that one of the things that really inspired me was a book that I bought called uh, getting everything you can out of all you've got by one of my mentors Jay Abraham He's the one who actually yep. taught me how to do strategic partnerships and joint ventures. And it was in his book that he spoke about doing strategic alliances, strategic partnerships and licensing. So one of the ideas that I had was I reached out to this um, company in, uh, uh, in they're actually based in, they were based in Clearwater, Florida, multi-million dollar e-learning company uh, headed by a, a female CEO. And I reached out to them based on it and said, look, I'm interested in uh, bringing um, your content, which is the e-learning content, over to the UK and Europe. Um, how can we do that? And obviously, they, we spoke about doing a licensing deal. And uh, I was quoted $100,000 for a license to bring it over to the UK and Europe. And at that time, I thought, there's got to be uh, a better way to uh, you know, do this without actually paying $100,000. So I basically jumped on a plane, flew to Clearwater uh, with $10,000. Uh, and uh, I sat at a meeting with this um, female CEO. We uh, we created a partnership where um, I 
gave her $10,000 up front as a goodwill payment and said, look, I'll guarantee you I'll make you more than $100,000 in terms of the license deal. Just give me the opportunity. Give me a shot. So I flew back to the UK and now we had over 150 e-learning titles. So basically the business was ready to go from day one. We didn't have to create content. We had something that was already working and proven and actually making money. So we just basically took a concept from the US, brought it over to the UK uh, with a licensing deal. And within the first six months, um, the business went from zero to seven figures fairly quickly because wow. we had everything. Yeah, they gave us everything. They gave us all their scripts. They gave us all their templates. They even created the, uh, duplicated the website for us. So basically, it was like a business in a box, really. They <laughs> wanted us to be, yeah, it was good. They wanted us to be yeah. successful. They said, look, we don't have any partners outside of the US. It would be great if we can um, grow and expand into Europe. And, um, you know, we really like your, your pitch and, uh, you know, we'd really like to partner with you. So that was my first foray as a founder with that partnership. And they gave us everything. They gave us basically their whole business plan and said, look, right. if you can implement this, if you can implement this in UK and Europe, then, you know, we would have a, a partner in UK and Europe because, you know, at the moment we've been looking at that. And then that was it. The, uh, my, um, uh, you know, my um, journey as a founder started with a very successful e-learning business that uh, grew uh, to basically eight figures. You know, we, we had a B2B division, then we had a B2C division. Uh, we, uh, we headhunted a, a guy. And manage our call center. He was basically one of the uh, founders of, the, uh, of a competitor of ours bring him over uh, for a promise um, of uh, future equity. You know, if you could give us uh, the numbers and if you could even get us to our target numbers. So uh, that was the start of basically this uh, very successful uh, e-learning business uh, that I founded. That's fantastic. And you ran that business for a uh, better part of a decade and then the financial crisis hit 2007-8. Um, what happened after that? Uh, because I know it wasn't all positive, right? Yeah, basically, um, uh, we were doing a lot of partnerships in the space. We were approaching large companies, uh, creating partnerships with them. And one of the things that we, how we built that business was just from strategic partnerships. So what we were, in, right. in essence, doing is approaching uh, organizations that had the audience that we were after. And we were getting them to give us um, uh, basically leads and generate leads for us because we had a call center that required leads every day. So one of the things that we used to do was, and it's very clever, what we did was this, and I'll, I'll break it down for you. We used to have an um, a, a online subscription library that was uh, $5,000. And as part of that, we used to have a course that had like, you know, 10 modules. We would approach, uh, we would approach um, strategic partners who had the traffic and uh, the, uh, their viewers or their readers or their subscribers one module for free, which was worth $500. So they would promote that module. Um, it would come back to us. And because it was online, we could track it all. So those people who scored a high percentage on the tests, we knew for a fact that we could upsell them to a full curriculum course. We were doing certification courses for Microsoft and for Cisco. And um, we just had the ability to be able to upsell them according to the tests that they were taking. And then obviously we would give those strategic partners a cut or a revenue share for every single person they bought. So all the business okay. basically was run by strategic partnerships, no marketing advertising whatsoever. Fantastic. And, and, and this is such an important lesson for founders out there. 
because uh, understanding how to sort of build these partnerships and uh, use them to really scale up your business is so important. Uh, uh, so uh, let's continue on that journey. What, what happened after you developed all of these partnerships um, uh, as, as sort of the, uh, you know, the financial collapse started? Yeah, well, well, then in '96, um, we were uh, basically approached by another organization. Actually, we 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 went to go and create in a partnership with a, a hardware company. Actually, one of the leaders in the UK and Europe. They had over 500,000 customers who bought computer hardware, and because we sold computer software, it was a natural fit. Oh, our wow. aim was to have them install our yeah. Our aim was to have them install our e-learning software on every single PC and laptop that they uh, manufactured. That was our aim. So when people opened the the laptop were installed on those laptops and on those uh, on those computers so we approached them with a partnership but that partnership ended up in them wanting to acquire us and uh, at that time i had uh, two more partners and um you know it's a uh, I would have made a different decision back then, but because I had two more partners, um, they decided that you know we didn't want to sell. Uh, we wanted to basically stay in the business and grow the business. So we ended up merging uh, with, with with what was a nine-figure um, a hardware computer hardware company, and we became part of this huge group. Um, within the group, uh, our company was merged, and um, you know we all sat on the board of a nine-figure organization, and you know we all became multimillionaires from that. And uh, like I said, you know one of the things I always say is. Uh, What's the first thing you do when you um, when you strike it rich, right? You you go out and buy something. For me, I went out and bought a 15, 15 bedroom mansion and a million dollars worth of uh, supercars and classic cars. Big mistake. So as I said, when I was a lot, all I wanted to be was I wanted to be rich. And obviously, now being older and wiser, I know the difference between being rich and, and building wealth. So um, at that time, uh, the organisation that we were now part of. They had a very healthy balance sheet, uh, a, a lot of cash, and they were going out buying a lot of these online dot-com companies. And um, uh, to be honest with you, what basically happened was um, it was uh, it was it was a disaster because um, for them, basically, uh, they were buying companies that were duds. So they were putting all this money to companies, and then um, you know, in 2008, uh, the group basically collapsed. And how it happened was like wow. was this: a night, a, a day before, the board made an made a decision. Uh, with the founding decision they were going to liquidate the company but they didn't tell us the next day and announced that hey guys uh by the way we're 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 dumping the the company but don't worry because we're setting up a phoenix company now a phoenix company you know a phoenix company is basically a company that rises from the ashes and what they were doing was transferring the assets from one business to the other and that's not super ethical uh and for us it was like okay why would you do that and why didn't we why weren't we informed what was going on behind the scenes and that was the thing they kept a lot from us and again like i say due diligence my pitch rooms on clubhouse because we did our due diligence but it wasn't enough due diligence you know we thought this company had been around for 25 30 years they're respectable uh, they're not going to go anywhere but then they collapsed in 2008 because there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about. So that happened. Um, I decided to walk away. I didn't want to be part of their new uh, business because I thought I cannot work with people who are really unethical. So I walked away. But the biggest problem we had was 
um, we had signed guarantees with the bank. That was the biggest mistake I think a lot of us made because Ooh. we weren't aware of what was going on. In this company was, um, uh, you know, respectable. It, it, it was bulletproof. Well, obviously, it wasn't. So um, when the bank decided to come after the person with the most assets, guess who they came after? Me, the guy with the 15-bedroom mansion and uh, cars. So um, I, was, I was targeted first. And I ended up negotiating with the bank to avoid bankruptcy. And I basically ended up diluting all my assets. I ended up doing a deal with the bank and it left me with nothing. So um, I still remember that day, you know, I went for a multimillionaire to totally broke in a flash. It was so quick. And I... Because the thing people don't realize is when, you, uh, when you're used to living a multi-millionaire lifestyle and then the rug gets taken off under your feet, which is basically your cash flow, you are in survival mode because it's very hard to readjust from there to down here. Very, very hard. Yeah. So I went, through about a, I went through about a depression. Um, I didn't know what to do. Um, I thought to myself, look, what shall I do? Shall I just, you know, shall I just forget um, uh, being an entrepreneur and just go and do something else? So I was really contemplating to just chuck it all in. Um, but then I needed some time away. And what really uh, triggered that was in my mum's area where she lived, a lot of my friends from, uh, from college and university, they had, by now they had nice homes, nice cars, they had their families, and they were still in their corporate jobs. And all my friends that I used to go out and see, not one of them said to me, I'm very sorry that this happened to you. Are you okay? What they said to me was, you shouldn't have left your job. You had such a good job as a management consultant, you should not have left your job, yes? And that for me was oh like, wow, God. you know, no, what, not one, yeah, not one person was, was sympathetic. So for me, I was like, look, I've got, I need to get out from here because I need to be somewhere where there's no noise and I don't have to talk to anyone. So I went to a monastery and it's really bizarre. I ended up in a monastery, uh, yeah. And um, uh, as you know, in a monastery, it's a silent, they don't talk. Um, it was an amazing time for me. You know, I got to study uh, a lot of theology um, in, in this monastery. And also they taught me one thing that I have today, which I'm really grateful for. And that is the ability to control your mind and the ability, ability to uh, control your thoughts. Because what I was taught was thoughts control things. Yeah. So I think as an entrepreneur and as a founder, you need to have such a bulletproof mindset because... forward okay you're always going to have ups and downs um and i think you probably have more downs than you have ups and for me um i was fortunate that i went through that i came back uh from that experience and i decided to basically set myself uh, a challenge i said look what have i done before that has really worked for me and that was joint ventures right because i knew i built an eight nine figure business from scratch using joint ventures i said look I'm going to try and do it again. But this time I'm going to do a couple of joint ventures, like three or four or five, and then I'm going to make a million dollars and then I'm going to figure out where I go from there. So um, that was a challenge I set myself uh, in 2009. Uh, but I ended up doing um, a one joint venture deal that made me just over $1.5 million. And uh, for me, that put me back on my feet very quickly. And I think it's a, it is a rare case because um, not everyone has that opportunity to bounce back that quick. So uh, for me, I was very fortunate and, um, you know, uh, I ended up doing a deal with a, um, a catalog company. I'll give you a short uh, spiel exactly what it was. So they had a book that had sold over 400,000 copies. 
Um, I approached them because, as you know, my background was in video-based learning. Uh, I created a, um, a video course based on the book. I licensed it to them, um, and um, uh, they sold just over 201,000 copies of the uh, of the uh, of the DVD course to the book uh, to the book buyers. And my cut from that was seven dollars fifty per unit sold, and I made just wow. over one point five million dollars from that deal. Yeah, so I was very very uh, fortunate, and that's it. After that, I became known as the joint venture expert. Uh, people wanted to hear my story, and I ended up flying around the world speaking on big stages, and um, that's how I became known as the joint venture expert. Fantastic, and, and this is exactly where you know we start to sort of share the knowledge with the founders. Right now you're partnering with companies and essentially helping them scale their businesses very quickly. Correct. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. What do you look for in the founders when they come on and when, when you start that conversation? And what do you look for in companies? Uh, what, is it a product? Is it a strategy thing? Yeah. What, what, what do you this focus is, on? This is brilliant. So uh, as you know, you know, I run uh, one of the most successful pitch rooms on Clubhouse and we yep. get a lot of people, founders that come in there with questions. Um, one of the things is a lot of founders come in there with ideas, right? Uh, but not, uh, but not validated. So uh, as we know, investors are only look for ideas that have been either executed or validated, right? So mm -hmm. they want to see traction. Um, one of the things that I always say to founders is look, having some strategic, if you have, if you have no revenue, if you're pre-revenue, for example, one of the greatest things to do is go out and find strategic partners that will help you validate your venture because uh, a solid strategic partnership is basically a validation of your venture because these strategic partners are saying, yes, we, uh, we believe in your venture. Uh, we would like to get involved in your venture. We would like to invest in your venture. We would like to work with you and we validate your venture. So having something like that in place before you approach investors really, really helps, especially yeah. if these strategic partners have, have, have given you some sort of commitment that they will provide X, Y, Z to you. So, um, strategic partnerships are uh, something that's always used in the founder space. I mean, Uber, um, all these big companies, they strive on strategic partnerships. I mean, that's one of the things that they're very, very uh, prevalent in, in, in implementing. So the first thing for founders is, look, go out and create some strategic partnerships to get traction and get momentum. Because um, uh, strategic partners, the great thing with them is they can give you access to their customer audience, right? Without having to have that go-to-market strategy where you're saying, Okay, what do you need the funding for? Uh, I need it for marketing. I mean, that is like, yeah. come on, you know, you're going to spend all that money on marketing. This is not the dot-com era. The dot-com bubble burst because everyone spent their money on marketing, right? Yeah. All the dot-com companies, they were throwing money at marketing. How do I know? I was a consultant back in the days and we were getting paid crazy money just to help them market. So marketing is not the, 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 the thing that you should be really focused on spending your 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 uh, money as an you know in terms of when you're asking for investors your right. go-to-market strategy is very important and i think within your go-to-market strategy you should have strategic partnerships in there somewhere by saying look we are uh, we are partnered with this organization and they uh, they share the same customer demographics or customers that we are actually um, targeting and they are willing to promote our product or service to their customer base or to their membership base, for example. Right. And that's one of the biggest things that will get you traction very quickly. And the great thing with that is it doesn't require any money up front. You know, you can do a revenue share, okay, with a strategic partner, which means that they will go out and do all the sales and the marketing and even sometimes the distribution and everything for you 
and they'll just say, okay, these are the sales we've got for you. And, uh, uh, you know, we'd like our, uh, our revenue share, please. So yep. I always say, you know, uh, one of the quickest routes to market, and I do it all the time. Every single business that I've built, I've done, uh, d- done it by strategic partnerships. And even on Clubhouse, the way I've come into Clubhouse is by strategic partnerships because I align myself with people in the industry that know more than me and have access to that industry. So, so, so example, we've been talking and I said, look, I absolutely love the investor community and the founder community. And for me to get into that community and build my credibility is through strategic partnerships. So, um, you know, it's something that I've always done. I, I basically uh, not only talk the talk, I walk the walk as well. So, you know, I've managed to um, move uh, into countries uh, where I have no idea about the economy and the landscape. Um, and I partnered with companies based in um, uh, companies that, uh, in a country like the Middle East without knowing how to do business in the Middle East. And uh, we've created businesses and we've grown businesses and we've sold businesses um, because we've created those partnerships. So I think definitely strategic partnerships should be number one um, focus uh, for founders. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. Um, so now let's get into uh, uh, more of the strategy uh, and especially what you've been doing on Clubhouse and all of those kinds of specific things. Um, how are you sort of now growing your business and trying to help founders in the process? Um, tell us a little bit more about you know what you're doing now. Well, see, I'm in a very lucky position because uh, for me, it's not about the money, right? So I'm, I'm not making money. I'm, I'm more making a difference. So when I first came on to uh, Clubhouse, um, you know, everyone, it's uh, basically, we all have the shiny object syndrome. It's yeah. like, this is a new platform. How do we figure it out? What do we do? But I'm always strategic in everything I do, whether it's on social media, whether it's in business. So I try and figure out what direction do I want to go in and who do I need to partner with to get to that route quicker. So I've always been an advocate of that. And, you know, I seek out people on Clubhouse, for example. Um, Nowadays, I don't spend that much time on Clubhouse. I only run my specific rooms for VCs, uh, for investors and founders. That's my pure focus uh, moving forward. And um, uh, I'm more more or less a matchmaker and introducer now for um, helping founders um, uh, being matched with investors, for example, or even uh, giving back more to the uh, to the founder community and the investor community. So I'm in a very um, uh, a blessed uh, position, I'd say, where you know my main aim not, is not making money anymore. It's more like, it's more or less making a difference. And from that, I also get a lot of partnerships and a lot of uh, investment um, uh, proposals. Uh, so it's interesting for me, and this is what I'm looking at right now. So uh, I'm I'm going into this as a new angel investor, I would say. Uh, by looking at companies where I can benefit the most. I've done um, consulting for equity deals um, in the past. One of the reasons why I've done those is for my kids because I didn't want my kids to just have a a big bank account. I want them to have a piece of something. Yeah. So I want them to be able to get involved and, 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 and have something. So, you know, the consulting for equity deals that I've done in the past have specifically been to hand down to my kids. So uh, for me, it's just, um, uh, it's just interesting. I'm like a kid in a candy shop because there's so many, <laughs> uh, there's so many opportunities out there. But like I say, I, I myself, um, you know, uh, I'm looking to become part of an angel investor community where I can sort of learn more about, you know, uh, how the process works. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited. That's fantastic. Fantastic. So let's get into the last action step question that I always ask all of the investors that come on. Um, and I'm going to ask you as well. 
Um, the question is, what is the one thing that the founders have to get done uh, before they come and approach you about a partnership, about developing their business? Um, I know we talk about a lot of mistakes that founders make. Maybe this is uh, uh, something we can <laughs> highlight also. But yeah, uh, tell me sort of that one, the most important thing for you. Yeah, I would say definitely before uh, going out and uh, creating strategic partnerships, there's three steps that I always say that uh, founders need to go through. One is identifying the ideal customer avatar, first of all, right? Know who your customer is, okay? This is not a shotgun approach where everyone's going to buy my product or service. No, <laughs> specifically, who is your customer avatar? Because like they say, the riches are in the niches, right? So yeah. specifically, hone down the customer avatar. Number two, who is your customer audience that you're targeting specifically? What is that customer audience and what does that look like in terms of dollar value? What's the percentage? What's the share of that uh, customer audience that you want to gain, right? Number two. Number three, who is that specific strategic partner who has access to that customer audience that you're trying to, um, uh, to, trying to target? And after that, basically, it's a matter of building a rapport and building a relationship with that strategic partner to then be able to access that customer avatar and the customer audience, which is controlled by them. So what you want them to do is in, uh, ultimately endorse you to their customers, to their members, to their, um, uh, to their audience. So that's the ultimate um, uh, uh, you know, outcome that you want from a strategic partnership. Fantastic. And that's such a clear sort of way of thinking where you, you have to develop the avatar, you have to develop where the audience is and then start mm -hmm. developing the partnerships. Uh, fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, it was a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed learning about your story. And uh, I'm going to be in your clubhouse room all the time. You know that uh, I really yeah. enjoy what you do. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to working together on uh, many, many projects beyond that. So Hopefully we can uh, develop a partnership ourselves. Thank you. Great to, Absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks, Olu. Bye.